Welcome to Dr. Me First. I'm your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. This podcast is all about learning to take care of yourself, your life, and your practice. Are you ready? Let's go. to one that is joy-filled, sustainable, and that you absolutely freaking love. I'm so glad to be here with you today, and I have a podcast episode that is going to blow your socks off. Today, I am talking with Dr. Lisa Doggett, and her words are role reversal. When she first submitted these to me, I was like, what in the world is she talking about? I don't know, but let me tell you, it's totally different. It's talking about when a doctor becomes a patient. Her story is so touching, I cannot even do it justice. So we're going to hop into conversation and then make sure you stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Here we go. Welcome to Dr. Me First, Dr. Lisa Doggett. It's so nice to have you here for a conversation. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm Lisa Doggett. I'm a family physician in Austin, Texas. Um, I have been in practice for, or out of residency for almost 17 years. I practiced in community clinics for 13 and then for the last three and a half years or so, Um, I've been a medical director for a care management company. Awesome. I love it. And your word phrase today for us is role reversal. I'm really interested in to see where you're going to take this. So tell me why you picked it. Role reversal. So um, I, in addition to being a a physician, I'm also a patient. Um, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at the age of 36. Um, That was about seven years after I had started practice. Um, So really quickly and shockingly to me, I went from being a physician to being a patient. And that's the reason I chose role reversal. Oh my God. Like I'm dying to hear the rest of the story. So fill us in, like (laughs) tell us to start. I'm so excited. Tell me all about this. Yeah. So um, I really took my work as a family physician to heart and in terms of really trying to practice what I preached. So I spent a lot of time, and I know you're a family physician as well, um, counseling patients about all the things that they could do to be healthy. So diet and exercise and stress reduction and sleep. And I really tried to do all of those things myself. So I was exercising every day and I was a vegetarian. I was really careful about diet. Didn't work, didn't do so great with my stress reduction. (laughs) I had two little kids um, at the time of my diagnosis, but I really was trying to take good care of myself. And I thought, I'm going to live to be 100, no problem. I am super healthy. I will never have any chronic diseases. Um, then, when my youngest daughter was two days before her, two, to, two days before she turned two, so really little kids, um, I woke up one day with dizziness. And I thought, oh, I just have a virus, no big deal. I went through the week, saw patients, got through my daughter's second birthday. Um, really, you know, thought it was going to turn into 
a cold or something and it didn't, um, it persisted. And then I started getting other weird symptoms. The other weird symptoms included double vision and taste changes, which I had never heard of or seen in a patient before. And I thought I, I had no explanation for what I was going through. It's kind of like looking back, I'm going, God, well, duh, I should have thought of MS. Um, really, like now I've heard a lot of MS stories and realized that that was something I should have thought of. I was, you know, 36 year old woman um, with some bizarre neurologic symptoms, but I thought I had a brain tumor and I pulled out Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine and was flipping through it, trying to figure out the neurologic pathway that made sense to explain my symptoms. Couldn't figure it out. Um, I actually saw a neurologist who was a friend um, over lunch one time. She kind of did or that week that I was feeling bad. She kind of saw me as a favor, did a neurologic exam, told me everything was probably fine. She didn't think of MS either. So that made me feel, retrospectively, I feel a little better about that. But anyway, um, after I saw another physician friend um, who was an ENT and a more formal, it had a more formal evaluation, um, I was diagnosed with MS. Um, it took a little over a week from my initial presentation, which was super lucky. A lot of people wait years to get diagnosed, but it was also really shocking to go from healthy physician, mom, to all of a sudden I'm faced with what I call a life sentence of a chronic neurologic disease. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was my burning question was like, what's the timeline here? Because, you know, so many times it's the zebra, you know, MS is, it's like, we're thinking of all the horses and then we're like, holy shit. So that's amazing. So they, so they, you had your colleagues, you kind of got them on board. They, you got diagnosed in a week. Then where did it go from that? It was really, really hard. I was, I was really shocked. Um, I felt awful. I was still having this dizziness and, and really the dizziness, I think the best way to describe it is it's not like a vertigo or motion sickness. It feels like I've just flown overseas and chugged some champagne too fast on the way there. Like it's this sort of buzzy feeling with jet lag. It just feels horrible. Um, and I just, so I was struggling with that, just feeling bad every day. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this this horrible disease. And, and, and I really did think it was a horrible disease because my thoughts about it, my, my prior experience with MS had been, first of all, doing the MS readathon when I was in third grade and seeing, I remember the pictures of all the people in wheelchairs um, and that this was really bad and this is why we were doing the readathon. Um, the second thing I remember it is back when I was in medical school, I had, I had seen a patient um, during my surgery rotation with um, what turned out to be a bowel obstruction that was related to his MS. Um, and he was incredibly debilitated. He had late stage disease. He also had MS. This was in the mid 1990s before treatments were readily available. So he had had MS for a long time without the benefits of the more recent treatments that we now have. But that's where I went when I was diagnosed with MS was I'm going to be like one of these people. Um, I need to go do the things I've been wanting to go do my travel bucket list now because I'm not going to be able to later. Um, and I think that, you know, it was so that was really, really hard to hear that news. And then also as a physician, it kind of just made me think about things very differently with my patients, too, because we give bad news a lot and we don't necessarily think about how that's feeling to the patient and what that means to them. And I think we, we're also often rushed. So we're doing this and, you know, just, okay, yeah, you have diabetes and, you know, that means this and here's some medicine. And, but that's a really big deal. Um, 
And, and so I think, you know, it made me kind of pause when I would review charts and see a bad diagnosis or just communicating news to patients um, after I did go back to work, um, which took a few weeks from, for me to get back to a more normal work schedule. So from the present time to your diagnosis, about how many years has that been? So I was diagnosed, it's been almost 10 years ago now. Wow. And yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, what I did learn, uh, fortunately, fairly soon after my diagnosis is that there are great treatments for MS. There are now well over a dozen treatments that slow progression. And uh, a lot of those have just been developed in the last few years or the last decade. Um, so I got on treatment really fast. Um, I got in to see a neurologist who's an MS specialist who is very, very good, very well known. He researches about MS and, and lectures around the country. Um, incredibly bright, um, capable physician. And, and it took me a little bit of kind of coming to terms with the fact that I was now the patient and I didn't have to be the doctor. I didn't have to pull out Harrison's principles of internal medicine and read about MS. Like I could let him be the doctor. He's an MD PhD who's specialized in MS for years and years. Like he's going to know more than I am. So I don't need to be the driver of this at this point. Like it helps for me to learn about it a little bit, but I really can let him kind of guide my, my care and, and be the patient. It's okay. Did that happen? Um, and he's done a great job. Did yeah, that happen ahead. like relatively shortly or has that been a process for you kind of, like you said, doing the role reversal? Yeah. So I think it, it, it's kind of been back and forth. I think early on, like my, when I was first diagnosed, like right after I got home, I got on Google and started like <laughs> trying to read about MS and got really depressed really fast because there still were a lot of pictures of people in wheelchairs and, and lots of sad stories. Um, my husband, who's a pediatrician actually pulled me away from the computer and he's like, you're not, you don't need to be the doctor now. Like, just let this, this other neurologist be your doctor. You're going to see him soon and let him take over. And I think, you know, for the first several months, it was too painful for me to do that kind of research. And it was a relief to be able to let the neurologist take control. Um, over time, I have gotten to be a little bit more assertive in my care uh, where I do research things and I've disagreed with him about treatments and I've, um, you know, sometimes not followed his advice exactly um, in terms of like I had a, a medicine that needed to, he wanted to start it really quickly, but he wanted me to, I could actually, let me back up. I had a medicine that I needed to switch to, but I couldn't start it right away because my blood count was too low. And he wanted to put me on steroids to raise my blood count. And I did not want to take high dose steroids. We're talking huge doses of, of steroids. And I was like, no, I don't want to risk the infection risk and the uh, you know, sleep issues and have my bone density impacted. So uh, we had uh, several months where I kind of refused to do the prednisone. And finally, my blood count got up enough that I could start treatment. But in general, I've it, it's been kind of a back and forth, but we've also developed a good kind of working relationship. I mean, we're a team, my doctor and I, and, and we're, um, you know, we have to negotiate things, but in general, I do let him be the driver. Tell me a little bit more too about how your practice of medicine has changed through all of this. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think in general, I'm just more empathetic with patients and what they're going through. I don't tell them about my diagnosis, but I, just, I, I think I can relate in a, in a more, I don't know, just 
um, in a more real way. Like I really do have a better understanding of what it's like to be dealing with a chronic disease and to have to take medication and to deal with insurance companies and to have to get lots of tests. I get MRIs frequently. Um, and it's, it's not fun to have to go through that. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I can connect with patients in a way that I couldn't before. Um, at the same time, I've shifted my whole career um, in part because of my MS. Um, I realized I was really stressed out um, seeing patients all the time. I, I know you can relate to this. I, I did hear your your story um, a few weeks ago about Thank your you. yeah your decision to to move away from patient care. So. Um, I was struggling a lot. I, I practiced in community clinics again for 13 years, largely with patients that were uninsured, and that um, was very, very hard. It was the patient population I loved, but it was incredibly taxing um, trying to deal with MS and then having two young children and, and really trying to work in community clinic settings was was very, very hard. Um, I, I still do practice um, in a homeless clinic for just as a volunteer um, on a fairly regular basis, but most of my work is administrative now. And I think that that's really given me the ability to, to do the self-care that I need to make sure that I can go to my doctor's appointments and, and take my medications. Um, and I'm also just able to, you know, take, just take care of myself. If I'm, if I'm feeling tired, I can go take a break. Um, it's not the same thing as, you know, having to be on a clock where, where people are waiting on you all day. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's just, I just wanted you to explain further with that because I see how you said in order to, to be at my healthiest and still fulfill my calling as physician, we got to make some changes here and we yeah. got to have some allowances. And so that's great really cool with that. Well, let's say that there's a woman sitting out in the audience right now listening to the podcast. She's a doctor and she's either just been diagnosed with a chronic disease or she herself are dealing with that. What would you say to her? I would say it's going to be okay. Um, I think that initially it's hard to see past just, you know, the kind of, at least for me, I was just seeing the gloomy future that I thought I had. I mean, I was very pessimistic. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think it's important not to go there, just kind of try to be present with the grieving and the shock and know, though, at the same time, as you're going through that and the anger and the resentment that you will come out on the other side and, and be able to cope. Um, things often aren't as bad as they seem in the moment. Um, really getting news of a chronic illness is really, really hard. Um, but I think it's, it's important to know that there is life on the other side. Um, that said, I also think it's important to, um, to really reach out to your support circle. Um, and, and that's another area where I really think I've kind of changed my perspective with patients is just realizing the importance of a support circle. Cause I reached out to friends and family and asked for help as I had never done before. I think we physicians who are moms and women are, you know, programmed to think we can do it all and we're going to be super women. Um, and I realized I couldn't do that. So I would encourage other women who are facing a similar situation to reach out, ask for help. Don't be ashamed of asking for help. I think it's a brave thing to do. And I think people want to help. Yeah. And they don't know how to help. And then yeah. also sometimes with us strong personalities, they're afraid about getting their head bit off when they do <laughs> offer the help. Sure. Sure. Well, and I think it's important to be specific. So 
I, I reached out to a few friends. Um, it was probably took me a few weeks after my diagnosis to realize that I was struggling a lot in the evenings with my kids. My husband was a hospital-based pediatrician and works evenings sometimes. And I was just, could not keep my patients and be the kind of mom I wanted to be with my kids when I'm dealing with dizziness and having been at the clinic all day. So I reached out to friends and said, you know what, I need help in the evening. Can you come over, bring a meal or we'll cook together, help me get the kids you know, through bath time. Um, maybe you can take one and read a book with her and I'll take the other. Um, but you know, that was a specific request that I made. Um, and I think that, like you said, a lot of times you don't, people don't know how to help. I think it's okay for the, it's really incumbent on the person who's, who's struggling to, to say what they need, to identify that and ask for what they need. Be specific. Yeah, it's so important to to look in the the details. Like you said, exactly what you need and want in any situation, but even more so when you're just struggling and feel like you're drowning to stay afloat. So, right, right. oh my God, I just, I love your story. I, I, I feel like it's been a hero's journey for you. Tell the audience a little bit about like where you're at now and kind of what life looks like and all that. Yeah. Well, so back, I'm just going to back up a little bit because I think, um, you know, initially I really did think like, I need to just, I'm at least I'm able to walk still. I need to go and do, you know, we want to hike the Inca trail. Like I need to go do that right away because I'm going to run out of time. And, and I learned that really a lot of people with MS, um, in fact, the majority of people with MS who are started on medication early will do quite well. So I didn't need to run through my bucket list as quickly as I thought I needed to. Um, and then, you know, after that initial thought of, well, maybe I'm not going to have to give up on all my dreams, I've really decided that MS needs to be my launch pad for doing more, for pushing my limits, for, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm going to do, you know, everything I can and push myself um, as much as I can. So, you know, because of MS in a lot of ways, I did um, decide to run a marathon and I did that. Um, gosh, 2014. And then I did another one in, in 2016, which was just great to have this like exciting goal, like to push my physical limits. Um, and just to, you know, think about, I'm, I'm showing MS, if MS is some big bad creature, <laughs> um, you know, that I can do this. So I, I think that, you know, setting goals and using MS to, to be my excuse to do more has been important. Um, I, you know, right now I'm, I'm excited. I just finished riding the MS 150 bike ride from Houston to Austin at the end of April. Um, it's a 163 mile ride. Um, my mom came with me as my support person and rode with me, um, which was really, really exciting. Um, I've also written a memoir and just recently finished that um, about my journey as a uh, physician turned patient. Um, it's called White Spots and Black Holes after the findings on an MRI that um, the patient often has. Um, and then the sort of subtitle is um, A Doctor's Story of Medicine, Motherhood, and Multiple Sclerosis. So I'm looking it. for a publisher for that. Thanks. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to put a call out so that you can get this <laughs> published and out into the world and support you. We'll talk afterwards. I got some connections for oh, you. Oh, good. Yeah. But until the book gets totally out and launched, where are some other places that people can find out more about you? Yeah, thanks. Um, I write a blog and my blog is focused on helping people with chronic illness to live their best lives possible. Um, the website is www.lisadoggett.com. 
and you can read about me, see my pictures, um, read my blog. Um, I'd love to have people um, give me their feedback and leave comments. Um, I'm also active on social media, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Lisa Doggett MD, and I'm on Facebook. Um, my Facebook page is Author Lisa Doggett. Perfect. I will get all of that in the show notes so everybody can go and find it and hang out with you and throw love and support in your direction because you're just so inspiring. It's amazing. Thank we you. just got on the call. And like I told you, I come into it very cold because I really want to know authentically, you know, to, to hear what you have to say. So anything else about your, your story that you'd like to share? I mean, I think that it's, it is a real struggle as a physician to become a patient. Um, I think it does happen to almost all of us at some point. Um, and I think that, you know, really trying to listen to your patients and, and understand where they're coming from can be really, really helpful. I, I think we all need to be pushing back against this tendency in medicine to be rushing patients through visits and doing, you know, just packing in people. We really need to be able to make that personal connection. Um, I know it's really important for me to be able to have time to talk to my doctor. And, you know, similarly, when I do see patients, um, having time in, in a less pressure-filled environment where we can really address their, their concerns and maybe the emotional needs that they have as well as the physical needs um, is really, really important. Well, Dr. Lisa Doggett, if you can do it, I can do it. I'm just sitting here thinking that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Erin. Okay, time for that kick of encouragement. And I really don't know how can I be any more inspiring than Dr. Lisa Doggett, to be perfectly honest. But here we go. Let's try. Here's your encouragement for today. Just keep going. I don't know what you have going in in your life right now. I don't know where you are in life with your family, work, studying, whatever. I don't know if you're dancing on the mountaintop, if you're down in the valley of shit, or if you're somewhere in between riding the struggle bus. But wherever you are, whatever the challenge is today, just keep going. Because it's so easy to stall out with fear and be like, peace out, MFers, I'm done. But don't let fear rule you. Don't be consumed by your thoughts. I know what those thoughts are because I've been there. Afraid of changing or failing. Afraid of not being enough. Afraid of looking like a fool. Afraid of being a total fuck up. Afraid of totally fucking up in front of your family, your friends, your kids. All while you're trying to figure out this crazy freaking mess. Afraid of being too much, showing too much, feeling too much. Afraid of missing out and having too little. Afraid of regrets. Afraid of making the wrong choice. Afraid of making the right choice, but at the wrong time. Afraid, afraid, afraid. It's endless. But the best way to move through these fears, just keep going. Because the alternative of turning tail and going back to miserable is not going to suit you. So pivot. Pivot into that something new that you've been contemplating. Maybe it's the small adjustment. Maybe just a sidestep in a different direction. Pause. Look around you and see what's happening. Tell fear, hey, I see you. I feel you. I know you're there. 
but why don't you come on this journey with me and we'll just see how it works out instead of you scaring me in the corner. You can do this, whatever this is, and I'm rooting for you. Just keep going. And remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.